This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up on the payoff, an extremely special guest, Emily V. She's been sober for almost 10 years, and the story is so much more than sobriety, as it always is. That's where it starts. But it finishes with an extremely fulfilling conversation with an extremely talented and successful musician. If you don't know who she is yet, you have been warned. Emily V is the artist. Of course, sobriety is the focal point. Uh, By the way, she was a member of my brother Kevin's band, the Kevin Souza Band, which you're about to hear right now. Where are you right now? You're in your home studio. This is we're just going to start. Okay. Yeah. If you're familiar with the podcast, which I'm sure you are, um, we use Kevin Souza's intro music. And uh, that was an album that that you played on. For people who don't know, I mean, I'll just get right into Emily's background. I'm I'm sure I'll talk about it off the intro, or I did talk about it. But you and my brother, very close. You 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 were played violin in his band. Now this this today is about you, but he's a common thread that you and I have together. I mean, it's, it's literally brought us together. Absolutely. Yeah. He's like, he's, I, I just kind of like imagine him this morning. He's like, so far. Well, you can, can say I that. Yeah. This? Yeah. 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 Okay. He's like, so fucking excited right now. He's like shaking <laughs> his hair around. And he's like, I was thinking like this morning when I was like through my day and like getting ready, I'm like, he, what he just had this, like if I came to rehearsal and he knew I was like, you know, going through something or kind of tired or kind of in a mood or whatever, and we'd be playing and then he'd always come over and like do a solo, you know, I'd be soloing and he'd always come, you know, into my personal space. <laughs> and then he'd just like, look at me and smile until I would finally look at him and smile. It was like his way of like getting me out of my. Would you describe him or- as somewhat, I guess when you got close to him, he he could be like kind of goofy and silly. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. On the outside, I don't know that everybody got a chance to experience that. Uh, you know, luckily like I did. And, and, and like th- what you just described there is something exactly what he would do to, to a family member. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you yeah. will, we'll, we'll kind of get to him and I, I'll tell you though, how the last thing about him or one of them, at least for now, um, you know, I was out at his memorial and this is how we got here, because that's important. I was at his memorial, and uh, you know, I'd known you, I'd known of you, and I and I saw you, and right away it was like a really good vibe. And then after the paddle out, first of all, you're all like done up now, and if people aren't watching, you can go on YouTube and watch it. But uh, you know, you're all done up. You're, you're like ready to hit the stage right now, and lucky for us. But then I I got to meet like dressed down Emily, like you're a California girl. I mean, you seem like you're just as yeah. comfortable in the sand as you are on stage. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I grew up going to the beach with my family and, you know, my mom, you know, being kind of a tomboy and running around and playing sports with my brothers and getting in the water and surfing with my dad and fishing and stuff was like, you know, I, of course I saw my mom, like this dressed up kind of version of her, so to speak, but My mom doesn't wear a lot of makeup, so I've always seen, you know, my role model was a woman who was very comfortable in her own skin to either be like, yes, we can 
we can have fun with makeup and fashion. And then, you know, there's, there's always room to just be, you know, be a natural, beautiful woman and not have to worry about all that. Yeah. So and that's comfort in your own, that's comfort in your own skin. Uh, and that was the thing. And, yeah. and it kind of like is disarming. Cause when you and I were talking on the beach, it, it really, it, it, this happens for anybody that's lucky enough to meet a celebrity and we'll call you a celebrity, you know, in that, in that, in that orbit. And no, when, when I'm talking to you and you don't look like Emily V the, the violinist, you just look like Emily, you know, but like, you're clearly very comfortable navigating both of those things i would imagine both of that and we'll talk about your story and and your sobriety but like you just had what 10 years sober almost 10 10 august 1st okay uh so what's it feel like to be when when, when, i mean i don't i try not to get hung up in numbers but 10 is kind of a a bigger one um i think i've had like the most realizations so far up to date as to what it sounds silly, but at 10 years, I have actually realized what um, an important decision that was in my life and um, how incredible it's been to be sober for 10 years and to actually, in retrospect, think about my days of drinking and et cetera, that um, it was headed down the wrong path, but it's like, almost more evident to me now than it was even right as I got sober. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think a lot of it, I mean, just in my own experience, when I start to have, you know, you're experiencing a lot of success and you're also, you know, just because I know how close you and my brother were, like there's an emotional, there's some emotional shit there. And when you can get through all of that stuff, you experience the success that you're experiencing, but you're also going through grief and navigating like real life shit. I'm always amazed, like, fuck, I can do all this without getting drunk and high, because for me, that's all I used to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting how, like, because when I met your brother, he didn't know I was sober either. And I can't remember what I was celebrating, maybe like five or six years when I met your brother. And I remember he sent me this really long text and we were just still getting to know each other. And he was like, wow, I mean, it, gi- it gives me goosebumps right now because he was like, I had no idea you were sober. Had I known, I mean, it's crazy how he's connected us even in his passing mm-hmm. and more of this sober community. And for me to be here to talk about my sobriety is like, this is the most vulnerable I've ever been live with people. Like, this is it. This is the conversation that nobody's ever heard me have before well you got a shitload of instagram followers you you, you clearly have carved uh, like a name for yourself out in in the los angeles area and now in different parts of america as you continue to get out and tour and play you uh you, but you keep your personal life if, if i go on your instagram like it's not it's not so much it's it's you the performer and yes. we don't get a peek behind the curtain too often behind right what is that correct am i fair to say that a hundred percent. I've always been very, very private with my life, like forever. I mean, I've always been that way. I've never been one to, well, I, I open up, I mean, you know, I open up on a one-on-one with people that I feel comfortable with, but as I get more and more exposure in the music world, you know, it's, it's sort of like, it's a little, I don't want to say scary, but it's like, I want to keep more of that you know, in the celebrity world, it's like, I don't like want to 
read or watch like personal shit about famous people. I just want to see them do their art. Yeah. And so I think I just tend to run my life that way. Well, see, I, I think also too, see, this is why I, I pull you in. And this is why one of the things that Kevin told me, cause he was, I mean, beyond a key component in telling me to, and having me start this, it's just like, it's so cool, Emily, for you to, and, and for whatever anybody does, um, it's their business whether they want to talk to people about being sober. But I think mm-hmm. you're one of those people, you, you kick ass, and when people find out, like, oh, my gosh, like, she's sober? Like, how, how did you, so you drank, and I'm kind of all over the place, but I want to get into your story. You played pretty much your whole life. When did you start playing violin? I was kind of a late starter. So how it happens is my, my dad played when he was very young in grade school. Uh, my dad got into sports in high school, water polo and basketball and surfing, et cetera. And he kind of put the violin to the side um, and didn't ever really pick it up again. Um, Where'd you grow up? I mean, what what part of California did you grow up in? I grew up on the central coast of California, so Atascadero. Most people don't know Atascadero, so I say San Luis Obispo. Okay, okay, sure. And when I was about five, I I vividly remember my parents pulled these violins out from underneath the bed. My dad had two violins, and I picked up my dad's violin, and I kind of, like, messed around with it. I remember I broke one of the strings, And I don't know, like, honestly, if I played violin in another life, but I instantly had this connection with the instrument. I was like, I want to play the violin. And I asked my mom for lessons. My mom has a different version of this. What's her version? version? I, I asked my mom for lessons. I grew up in a large family. I have five brothers. You know, if my mom was going to pay for private violin lessons, which is a big deal, like I had to really want to do it. So I asked, I asked, I asked, and it wasn't until I was 11, I was about to turn 12. And my mom read this article that says, when you turn 12, your brain matures in a way where it makes it harder for you to learn a second language or an instrument because an in, you know music is a second language. And she's like, Emily is still asking for violin lessons. I'm going to get her violin lessons. And that was it. Like I, I got violin lessons. I started classical. My mom took me every week, once a week. She took notes. I would practice at home. Nobody ever had to ask me to practice. I just like knew that I wanted to play the violin. I didn't know at that time that I wanted to be like this rock violinist, but I knew that I had this connection with the instrument that just became a part of me from the beginning. What was your life like at home? Cause it sounds, I mean, everybody's got their shit at home, but like, it sounds like it was pretty warm and fuzzy deal. I mean, you, you know, five brothers, dad, it's, it's kind of clear. My whole thing is like my dad, when, when we watched the news or when we watched sports, nobody could fucking talk. So like I, I subconsciously I gravitated towards once I got sober, uh, like speaking, right? Where people would, would kind of have to listen, whether it's news or sports. Was there a connection right. you think with you and your dad? Like that was his, I mean, that's pretty, it sounds like a treasured moment. It comes out from under the bed and you know, it's his, right? Or he used to play and now it's yours. Yeah. I, I think, um, I definitely, well, my childhood, I think I had an incredible childhood. Like my parents are incredible. They're still alive and well. Um, I'm pretty close with all my brothers. Um, I have a twin brother. He lives in Germany. Um, my little brothers are twins. My mom had two sets of twins. No shit. Yeah. Um, and 
I'm I'm really close with my big brother Ryan. Actually, I'm I I have a connection with all my brothers in some way, form or fashion. Um, we my mom's an artist. We are raised in like a very creative household, but like I didn't know that until I moved to LA that my childhood was a little bit different than what most people have. Like my dad had a garden. We like ate a lot of food from the garden. We had home cooked meals every night. Like when my little brothers were born, like I really stepped up and I started help making like family dinners for the family at like, you know, 12 or whatever time that was like my mom, I was a very responsible child. Like my mom put me, I was, a, I was a straight A student. My mom kind of put me in charge of things and it, you know, I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but that's, that's how my childhood was. And the older I get, the more I'm, I've always been close with my mom, um, you know, being the only girl, um, the older I get, I think the closer I've gotten to my dad and realizing how special my relationship with my dad was too, because I used to be the one that wanted to go get in the water and surf with my dad was a surfer his whole life. Or I would always wanted to go uh, fishing with my dad. I have this incredible photo of the two of us fishing, camping. Like we always went camping. We always went fishing. Like that's how I was raised. Like it was very like we would go to the beach for the day. My my mom and dad would like let us go get in the water. Like you know, so so you yeah. And let me ask you one thing about that childhood. You now this it's it's all you know, right? But it's super interesting that you had five older brothers. Like, describe to somebody who would not know what that's like, what it is like being the only girl in a house with six men, five five <laughs> siblings. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're right in saying that I don't know any better. So, and they're not older. You know, I have two older. I have one, my twin, okay. and I have two younger. Um. I wouldn't have it. I like, I wouldn't trade it for the world, even like as I get older and surround myself with more women and female friends, but I still tend to really like get along with men very easily and be able to like give them shit back. I think like, you know, we used to play, like we would do like wrestling matches in the bedroom, like <laughs> WWF and like we'd play basketball and like we'd, we'd, you know, we'd throw shit at each other and break each other's faces open. And like, you know, I, I had Barbies growing up, but we would like take the Barbies and we would like tie plastic bags on them and throw them out the second story of the barn to see if it would like parachute out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, you know, and then I, I, I was really, really, really close and still am with my big brother. And so I tagged along with him and he always let me. And yeah, I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but no, it, does. it was definitely fun. A couple of things I'm curious about when, you know, for me, I, one of the, one of my earliest, like my relationships with women, right? Like in, in, in grade school or in high school, it was just all, it was awkward as shit. Like, did you be, because, because and the reason I bring it up is because I only had a, I had a mom and she doted on me. She did the incredible job. But when I left and I started to interact with girls, this was like foreign territory to me. Like I did not know how to comport myself around around women. I still kind of getting the hang of it, right? So like for you having five brothers, when you go to school, like how do you receive like like boys? And the reason I ask is because that's for me that was drinking was a big part of that, like relationships for me, especially early on to like have it that be like a gateway to like 
talk to girls? What was that like for you? I yeah, that's a that's a good question because I think actually I was friends with my brothers and all my brothers' friends. You know, we would we would play games around the neighborhood or laser tag or whatever, and it's like I think in retrospect, there was a lot more guys around that probably kind of had a crush on me and stuff, but I was literally so oblivious. Like I had no interest in it. I had no, like, it was just, it went over my head. And like, I think in, I remember in junior high, this one of my first, the guys that I actually had a crush on, he like wanted to hold my hand and like, dance with me at the dance and i was so fucking nervous i was like i i was like i can't do this <laughs> like and so i was i <clears throat> i ended up being like a really late bloomer in relationships like i really didn't have a real boyfriend until out of high school okay um yeah now was know. that because I, and we all have our own like you know w did you find that you know, it was it was because your obsession, well, not obsession, but your passion for the violin, or you you're you were just a tom girl or a tomboy, or because was was drinking starting to kind of come into the picture now, drinking and, and and using drugs. Um, I was definitely um, and sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, but <laughs> I definitely in high school I was experimenting quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I was. I was maintaining straight A's and I was maintaining all my responsibilities at home. Um, you know, I was sneaking out with my friends and I grew up in a small town, you know, like just going back a little bit to my childhood, it's like, we like for like, this is a really good example of my childhood. Like in this story is like my mom hated our carpet in the house. And one day, like I, my mom was like, we're ripping up the carpet in the living room. My mom was like, like, she wants something done. She's going to do it herself. And like, that's where I get that is from my mom. My mom's a very strong woman, um, you know, mentally and yeah. <laughs> physically, but she's like, so she rips up, we rip up the fucking carpet from the living room and we've got like this, not a really great flooring underneath. And so we painted the whole living room floor was painted, like painted a mural on the living room floor wow. and then like it would get scuffed up and we would repaint it or we would put something down on it and then you know fast forward a little bit i finally get my own room at probably 12 or something like that and i'm like mom i want to rip my carpet up and i want to and like i painted my living room floor with like this it was very like very i was very like hippie it was like were your parents hippies psychedelic what's that were your parents hippies it sounds like we kind of got like a oh, nice yes they were my parents were straight up hippies my mom <laughs> tie-dyed clothes and my dad made like leather shoes and belts <laughs> so it's a pretty cool environment to grow up in yeah so that was my my room was this i painted it my mom painted my dresser i got to paint one of my shelves and my chairs that i have in my my backyard now and then my grandmother got sick uh, with Alzheimer's and she ended up moving in and living with us. So I shared a room with my grandma. So it was then I finally got my own space. And then now my grandma's living with me and it's like, you know, and that was a, that was a tough one too, because I didn't understand. I didn't understand Alzheimer's at the time. And, and that was really very painful that is, things to go through. That is a haymaker if you're an adult. Um, yeah. You know, like we had, cause Kevin, Mike and I, 
um, my, my dad had, you know, Alzheimer's. And so we were like, yeah. we didn't know what to do. I mean, we, you learn what to do and you do the best you can, but there's no recipe for handling that shit. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, and, there is, like but try following kid. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, my grandma would talk to my grandpa, my grandpa had passed. My grandma would talk to my grandpa in her, you know, at night. And it scared the shit out of me because I'm like, oh my God, there's a ghost in my room. You yeah. know, like it was just like a roller coaster of things. But anyways, fast forward to what you're saying is like, you know, I grew up in a small town. There was one high school, one junior high, one movie theater. And in high school, when I started really working, my real true first official job was working at the movie theaters. And the only things that you could really do in a Tuscadero was like, go to the movies or go get high. Yeah. And we did both. Yeah, I was about to yeah. ask. Yeah, yeah. Both sounds kind of <laughs> both sounds kind of fun. Yeah. And you know, and I worked at the movie theaters with my big brother. And if we would have midnight showings before, you know, before the public got to see, you know, Star Wars or whatever was coming out. And we would um we would load the ice machine with booze. We would go up on the roof and get high. We would hire a band to come in and play in the lobby. <laughs> we would just fucking take over the movie theaters. <laughs> oh, and I'm like 15 doing this. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So you're, you so, you have like an A-type personality, kind of like, you know, I feel like if you, like you mentioned your mom, if you want something, you're going to go for it. Um, and you're also, don't, yeah. you don't strike me as somebody who has too much fear, at least externally. Um, I mean, people have got to fucking watch your music and watch how you operate out there. Because really, you have such command and such a presence. Um, you, and, and, and God bless my brother, you... My brother had gotten to a point in his life and his career where he was very comfortable in his own skin, very much so. I mean, of course, he's, you know, he's a musician and he, you know, he had that hole in his soul to fill that we all have. I mean, his was primarily full by the time I think you came into his life. Um, so you were a perfect pairing with him because you steal the fucking show um, when you're out there. Uh, you, you do. And I know you know that. And I know you've been told that. Um, that's why I think you guys were just a cosmic pairing together. You know, yes. I mean, he loved seeing you get involved. And for Kevin, I, I think that spoke a lot to his sobriety, you know, but you're out there and, and you're just completely rocking out. At one point, at what point in your life do you start to kind of move towards that? You know, you're 15, the movie theater, we're, we're, we're ha hanging out, we're getting high. When do you think, okay, music is going to be, this is going to be my career. This is what I want to do. Did I skip over it? Was it early in your life or was no, it? No. So I, I, I grew up riding horses and I was a competitive um, horse, you know, uh, equestrian. You call that? But I did like English horseback riding, okay. you know, dressage and cross country jumping. And, um, you know, I learned you, you learn like all the parts of the horse physically. You take care of the horse. You know, you go to these three day horse rallies and I'm like, I'm young. I'm like. 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, um, you know, you're camping out next to your horse, you're keeping, you know, the judges come by and they judge you on your, how clean your tack is, your saddle, your tack room, your horse, your whole appearance. And then you're out there like competing and writing. I mean, I had some, I mean, that's a whole different thing, but I could tell you some crazy stories. Is there anxiety connected the to that? What's up? Is there anxiety connected to that? Um... No. Okay. I was thinking there might've been just cause it sounds like, so, you know, what, no. what, what's, 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 give me like a, let's dip our toe in the water of like a crazy story. Like what, like what, 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 what do you mean by that? 
Well, I, okay. So I used, my parents built, uh, you know, we live on like an acre of land or an acre and a half of land, which is, you know, pretty good amount of space. I grew up with horses. My mom grew up, my mom rode when she was um, a young adult, had the horses when I was born. I started riding one of her horses that she had purchased and through competing and riding, uh, which I, I actually can't believe my mom let me do because it's <laughs> such a dangerous sport. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, that I was riding this horse. His name was Red. And he was not our horse, but we were kind of leasing him, so to speak. He was an Arabian horse. And Arabian horses are known for being like, um, I don't want to say hot tempered, but they're very competitive horses. Mm -hmm. And so I would, I would, my parents built an arena out front. My parents would be in the house watching me and I would be training <laughs> my horse. And then I would go to like cool down my horse. We'd walk down the street and we lived on the street that I went to elementary school at. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's hot in the summer there, you know, but thank God I had the, you know, I, I knew to keep my helmet on. So I wore my helmet. I'm like, mom, I'm going to go walk, you know, um, the horse down the street yeah. and Red. we're walking down the street and this horse and carriage like come trotting by us and I'm walking my horse and he doesn't want a horse to pass him so he starts to get like antsy on the street and i'm like oh fuck you know i'm like trying to like keep him back we get to the end of the street that horse passes us we turn around we're coming back that horse and carriage comes back oh gosh and it was like the horse i was on was like oh no 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 no, nobody's gonna pass me this time and he literally took off galloping up the street and I had no control over him. I was pulling back on the reins. I was talking to him. I was trying to squeeze him back. And what I do know from a lot of, at that point, a lot of horseback riding was, you know, if you turn a horse, if you turn while you're running, you're not gonna be able to run very fast, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I turned him and as I turned him, we were passing the elementary school and he tripped on the curb that of the parking lot and when he tripped i had so much momentum i flipped over his head and i landed on the asphalt Ooh. but it was like it was unlike a fall i've ever had before i mean i literally like flipped over i remember my head hitting the asphalt like a basketball like it just like bounced 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 and then i was unconscious i pulled the bridle off of his head you know he had like gotten out of the bridle and i look up just in time to see him going over the horizon with out me on him galloping up the street my mom's outside gardening and she sees this horse with no emerald oh and no God, bridle <laughs> and i'm like i don't even know to this day how i felt because i had holes in my riding breeches on my knees my back was completely covered in blood like my elbows were tore up how old were you hit. i was probably 10 or 11. And so 11. do you get right back on the horse the next time out? As soon as we got back, <laughs> I got on the horse. Look at the, I mean, that it says a lot about, you know, clearly I was going somewhere with that question. Uh, I, I figured I knew what my answer was going to be. Yeah. So you yeah. go right back up on the horse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Scary that. shit. Well, it's that type of, and again, we talk about walking into fears, you know, you're again i go back to your presence on a stage and, and this ties into alcohol for me a little bit too like you you're out there and you're just you know you're you're alone but you're not right a lot of times and you really do seem like you're slicing through any kind of any kind of fear 
what 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 is that like for you? And again, I'm jumping around. When you stop drinking and you go up on stage for the first time with 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 without drinking because again, this is not we're not talking about the fucking symphony here. That is beautiful music, but you are yeah. out there, there's charisma, right? There's an explosion yeah. of sorts. Uh, yeah. how, how do you walk that I think it will be a tightrope for the first time without drinking? Uh, it was extremely challenging. Yeah. Um, at the time when I chose, when I decided to become sober, I was playing in a band. I was actually playing in several bands. Um, leading up to this band was the party band of all party bands. It was like, we started the night by taking shots of whiskey and me and the lead singer had this definite connection of like, drinking whiskey together and he i think he kind of like you know when i met him uh i was going to see another band and my anyways i had we were at this venue where there were several rooms where bands were playing and i got pulled into this other room where he was playing and i was out on the town and i was already really 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 drunk and somebody told him that i played violin and they had a violinist in the band and he was like on the he gets on the microphone he's like anybody here play violin like he knew it was yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm like oh fuck who told him you know <laughs> and so i get pulled on stage i'm like cross-eyed drunk and i we get up and we play and we you know we jammed and that was it his uh his wife came up to me afterwards she kind of managed the band she said we want to talk to you about being in the band and then i got sucked into being in this band and at the time was i thought great for me but we were just getting like so loaded that we started the night before even playing a single note, getting drunk, taking shots. And then we're on stage for three hours at a time, literally just drinking. By the time I got off stage, I was like obliterated. So, and, and how old are you when this is going on? So I'm, I'm now 20. Six, okay, so you're around 26. Yeah. When did you, yeah. so we're, we're talking about the horses when we're going to catch up here in a second. So we're, when you're around 15, you and your brother are having those epic parties at the movie theater. What, what happens between 15 and, and 26 where you, you start to really, I mean, cause that's a good, uh, like landmark for me. Cause you're, you're, you're now partying, you're drinking a shitload. Like I think as an alcoholic, you think, oh, this is great for me. This is the perfect mix. You know, this band's probably good for me. I like drinking. They like drink. You know, like, um, I'm, I, and I, forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn, but like, that's certainly what is attractive to me in that situation. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how did you get from the movie theater to, you know, you're partying and you're playing in bigger bands? Well, okay. So I think prior you had asked about like when I knew that I was going to be like a musician for the rest of my life yeah. and in it's sort of all intertwined because I was dating my first actual boyfriend was one of my brother's best friends who was, he was an older guy. My mom didn't really want me dating him, but we had Is this, this your brother Ryan? Yes. Okay. And my, you know, he, he, yeah, this is part of the story. I guess I've never really talked about too, is he ended up being an addict. Um, that was 
Yeah, so this is a little out of order, but it's this whole thing's out of order. I, I was just thinking yeah. Kevin would be pissed at me because I'm like, oh, dude, you're all over the place. All right, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, so okay, so I'm in high school. Yeah, I have a crush on this older guy. I have no concept of like addiction or that he's an addict or anything like that. I'm hanging out with my brother. I'm my best friends and I. We're getting high. We're drinking. Um, we're experimenting, et cetera, et cetera. It's like in retrospect, I feel like it was very like, I don't want to say normal, but like, you know, small town, there wasn't much to do was like, yeah. everybody was doing that. Everybody, my, my brother, my twin brother in high school, he was straight edge. He didn't touch anything, you know, and we would go on these, you know, my brother and I would, my brother has traveled the world. He's lived in a lot of different countries. He's taken me to some of these places he's lived before he's been uh, we've had some incredible trips together this your twin brother had some trips what's up this is your twin brother or your My other twin brother. okay and we did a couple trips one to hawaii one to the czech republic uh i just you know my brother's like emily we like you can't go out with us you're shit faced like you're you're already so drunk and i'm like oh i'm good and then i would go out and we would drink some more it was like it was, I was definitely on the fast track. He was like, dude, you can't not do this. Like, How did that hit you? Like, How did that hit you? What, what, like, um, I, I was pissed. I just wanted to tell my brother to go fuck him. Cause <laughs> I'm like, I we're, we're in Europe. I'm having a good time. Like just because I drank the whole bottle of champagne to myself doesn't mean like, just because you don't want to have fun, you know, kind of things <laughs> like that, you know? And, um, you know, I gotten, you know, I've got a couple of nose piercings. I got one of those piercings in the Czech Republic. And yeah. it was like, you know, the guy didn't speak any English. We went out drinking afterwards. And the next morning I forgot that I had gotten my nose pierced. I was like, God, my nose hurts so bad. And I go in the bathroom to like wash my face. And I pulled the nose Ooh. ring out of my nose. Like <laughs> just stupid shit like that, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I think you know, my brother and I started to separate at this time in high school. He was going through his own things. He was straight edge. I was going towards the party crowd. Um, we both are top of our class, straight A, everything. Like when I was a freshman in high school, I was uh, like in all the advanced math and science classes. Like I was in my second oldest brother. I was in classes with his friends because he was a senior. I was a freshman. And I was literally wow. like acing tests in like math and science that nobody else could even ace that was like three years older than me. Yeah. Was it easy for you? Yeah. Um, like, did you study hard or did you just, were you able to walk in and just ace this I, stuff? I think I was, a, I, I think I was good at studying. Okay. And I think that I attribute a lot of that to um, playing violin. Uh, attention because to detail. Yes. Uh -huh. And memorizing music and, you know, all the math and science, you know, all the math that goes into like music is so mathematical to me, actually, with like the patterns and the intervals and the theory and all this stuff, which I dove really deep into when I went to study music in college. But the way I got to that point was uh, we both my brother and I both graduated our junior years of high school. He went to Europe. Uh I think that was when you went to Europe. And then I went to the junior college because at that point I was still playing violin and everybody was like, you 
not my parents, but like other peers and people were saying, you don't want to be a musician for the rest of your life. You're going to hate it if it's your job. It's you don't make it your job. Don't make it your one thing you do. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do something else. Like I was always a creative writer. I like to write a lot. I always had a journal growing up. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll be a writer. Like, I don't know how I thought that was going to be any better or easier <laughs> being a creative. But like, that's what I saw. My mom was so creative growing up and running her own business that it wasn't weird or out of the norm for me to like make a living being a creative person. And so I, uh, I started going to my junior college. Where'd you go? Um, what, what, what'd you go? Uh, Cuesta, Cuesta College okay. up in San Luis Obispo. Okay. And so I'm, I'm really young going into, a, as a, my, ju okay, sorry. So let me back up. This is my great. junior year of high school, I was actually already pretty much a full-time college student. So I basically got all my GED. Uh, I didn't take the GED. I got all my credits done yeah. and they allowed me to graduate my junior year of high school. So I was already a full-time college student as a junior. And oh, by school. the way, like it's worth mentioning, you, you mentioned like you're starting to hang out and, and like kick it up a little bit socially. Like yeah. while all this is going on and you're able to put all these balls are in the air and you're keeping them all there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I... I am going to the college and then I'm working at the movie theaters. I'm working my way through college. I'm still trying to come home and have family dinners with my mom and dad, you know, my family. Cause we're, we always try to do that growing up. I help around the house. Like I'm doing all these things. Right. And it's like, I go everywhere with my violin. I've got my violin with me. I sneak into the music department at the college and I go, I sneak into the practice rooms because you weren't allowed to go in there unless you're a music major. And I'm like, whatever, you know, <laughs> so I go in there. It's like, my brother was an art major. My mom was taking art classes. Like it was like the family was there. Like we, we'd always hang out kind of thing. And I go in there one Friday afternoon thinking like nobody's there and I'm practicing. Um, and I, I'm walking through the department. It's a ghost town. And this guy sees me, this gentleman, and he comes over and he's like, who are you? What are you doing here? And I'm like, I don't know, 16 or something. Like, I'm still young to be in college. And I'm like, oh, I was just, I was just playing. Like, I'm like so scared that I'm like in trouble. Right. Yeah. And he's like, what, do you, what is that? And I'm like, it's a violin. And he goes, play me something. And so I pulled out my violin and I played him this piece by Vivaldi. I'll never forget. I played it for him. He's like, don't go anywhere. And he leaves the department. He comes back with this woman and he's like, this is Amanda and she's your new violin instructor. And you are now a music major at this college. <laughs> like the universe was like, you're going to, you're going to study music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Like from that point forward, it's that was it. I, I enrolled in all my music history classes, my music theory, my piano classes, everything. And I loved it. I started playing like jazz violin. I, I was playing classical. Um, I started teaching my, my, my teacher, Amanda had me come help teach these young kids. I was very natural instructor. So I've taught since I was like 16, 17, I've always had like violin students along my career path. And I love teaching. I love teaching kids. But yeah. And so I auditioned for a scholarship at Long Beach State. I wanted to move down to Southern California. 
I got the scholarship. I moved down and I was a music major. So you went to Long, Long Beach, Beach State? Thinking, what's up? You went to Long Beach State? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. And so that, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a music major at a university. Everybody's going to be so creative because I now I know at this point, like, I want to be an alternative violinist. Like, yeah. I like classical. I, I love playing in an orchestra. What kind of music were you listening to? Right, right around now, like outside of the classical stuff, what are you inspired by? Like, what do you want to play on the violin? Like, uh, well, I mean, I grew up, um, I grew up listening to a lot of classic rock. Mm -hmm. You know, my 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 dad had an LP collection. We had like we always had music on Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, Beach Boys, but we also listened to like Miles Davis, uh. The Beatles. I had Beatles posters all over my walls growing up as a yeah, child. Yeah, you had a nice upbringing. In my house, my father was cr crushing my brother's guitar if he played it too long. <laughs> you had a great. You had a great. Yeah, it sounds like a fucking party over there. I I'm very lucky. Like my parents still to this day are so supportive of me. I mean, it's yeah, like awesome. I'm so so lucky. Yeah. Um, and then my big brother that I was very close to really introduced me to like. You know, Nirvana, Allison Chains, um, Mad Season, some of my mm. favorite bands to this day, Allison Chains, Mad Season, all that kind of like yeah. Chris Cornell type classic, you know, that kind of rock, that grunge rock. My other brother was really into like Iron Maiden, Metallica, um, Oingo Boingo, you know, just yeah. like random weird shit like that. Like, I don't know. I mean, we just got like so many, I have so many different influences in my life. Yeah. So this, uh, so you're at college, you're in Long Beach State. What happens with the social life? Like, how does this, because now you're, you're not quite accomplished, but you're clearly like a strong violinist. Like what, what starts to happen to your, to your life? Like outside I of actually, the studio? I, I don't, I was not a strong violinist at that point. I was really still trying to fit in with the class. Emily, world. you got a scholarship. I, but Yeah. Let's not minimize it. I mean, I know when I when I think about my peers. Okay, so this is nothing against like my upbringing or anything, but when I went to Long Beach State, I was playing on a fifty dollar violin mm -hmm. that I bought when I was like sixteen and or somewhere around there. Uh, my peers were playing on violins that were thousands and thousands of dollars, and like. I was, I'd never really played in an orchestra before. I played a little bit. I didn't know orchestra etiquette. I was getting called out by the conductor. He was like yelling at me in the middle of like all these people. Like, I'm like, I'm like a rule follower. I'm like a good student. I'm like a good girl. Like there's this part of me that's like this very, very good girl. I'm like very good at getting good grades. I'm like really good at people pleasing and making sure people really like me. And then there's this other side of me, like we practice at the practice rooms until three o'clock in the morning and we'd be doing a lot of things at the school and <laughs> things I probably can't mention here, but, yeah, yeah. you know, getting high <laughs> and like, you know, getting drunk and we were having crazy, crazy parties. That was where, that was when I think, that was when the drinking was starting to, to get out of control. Yeah. Okay, and this was in when you when you were at Long Beach. Do, any consequences, like for you, where you were no, like, I shit, got I really, I, really lucky. Okay. I mean, other than like, <laughs> other than like puking in my own car and shit yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, like, no, I, I was, I, I think I've had like some sort of a guardian angel around me for a long time because 
thank God I didn't have anything really that bad happen to me. And like, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I just, we partied pretty hard. Yeah. And so that was you- the mo- those were the times when I was like, I was blacking out and people were like, Oh my God, you did this or you did that. And I'm like, I did what? Like, yeah. You know, that was when that really started happening a lot. Any, any alcoholism in your family that you knew of that you were kind of like, cause I had, when I started, that stuff started happening to me, you know, it had been presented to me, um, that my dad had had a problem, you know, or that my, I mean, my dad was the greatest too. I always am worried. Like I'm shitting on him. My dad was the fucking best. I need to say that. Like he, was always there for me. He loved the shit out of me and he did a great job providing for us, but he was an alcoholic. I mean, like, and it was in his, and it was in his blood. Um, so when I started to kind of go left, I was like, Oh shit, this is that you never had any of that. Well, I mean, my family, we always drank. Mm -hmm. My parents always drank wine or beer every single night from what I remember. Um, do I think they were alcoholics? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's not, yeah. And I'm not asking you that question. I, like, you know, that's just, was there anybody like, so you didn't really know what was, what was going on? Like for, no. at that age, but backing up to my first boyfriend, when I moved to Long Beach state, yeah. he was, my brother was his roommate and I didn't, this was my first encounter with, you know, growing, growing up in a small town. Like I didn't experience a lot of like things you experience growing up in a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, so I move here. I've got a roommate. Of course, I want my boyfriend to come visit me. <laughs> I can't get him to like come visit me unless he gets in the car with my brother. So my, which was cool with me because I loved hanging out with my big brother too. Yeah. So like they'd come down and then little by little, I started getting these like weird messages from him at like weird hours of the morning. Like I'd be up early for class. He'd be messaging me. And then I, he finally had a talk with me. He finally sat me down one of the times we were there and he, he was a pill popper and he was like addicted to all these pills. And I was like, I had no clue. Yeah. And it was really like jarring for me, like coming from such a, that was a big deal for me at the time. I was like, what? And then, um, and then eventually we broke up and you know, he's, He's alive and well now, yeah. and I, I don't know if he's sober, but I know that he's he's really cleaned up his act. But that was, like, my first experience with, like, somebody having a problem. Oh, and that age, too, the fact that he sat you down and told you that is pretty fucking stand-up. I mean, like, that's just, I, I can't, I, I wasn't there yet, so, you know, yeah. discussing my, yeah. my addiction or issues with anybody else because I didn't want anybody else to be able to infringe on my ability to do that shit. You know, right. Um, right. So, so you're in college and you break up with this guy. Um, and, and I, that, that is a pretty interesting moment, right? You're like, holy shit. Like, I don't know if my head's up my ass or if I'm getting drunk too much or whatever, but how did I miss this? Yeah. 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 Um, and I didn't break up with him because of that though. Yeah. Like we, we stayed together for a while. It was more like, it was long distance. I was young. I was in college, you know, it was like, you know, I was faithful, but I, I had a lot of guy friends and that was just, that was hard for him to handle. And eventually I broke it off with him. And then I kind of moved into this other relationship with my college boyfriend. And how long you know, did that every, last? What's up? How long were you with this guy? The college guy? Um, gosh, we were together for, 
maybe a year. Okay. Now was he? That was a long time in college. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're like fucking Doogie Howser, like you. You were probably there for a half hour. You're just like you're, you're getting right through there. What What was it like? Was were you ending up with partners that drank a lot, like drank as much as you did? That's what happened to me. Uh. Yeah, actually, we were we were definitely partying. Um, he was diving into deep, he was diving more into like coke and stuff. Mm -hmm. The people I was hanging out were everybody I hung out with. Every single person I hung out with was a like hard partier. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you attribute that, that to the music scene? Do you attribute that to the music scene and the musicians you were hanging out with, or is that just what was happening in college? that too i mean there's there's a definite like culture around musicians and mm -hmm. like getting fucked up i mean that's like i think that's getting better now with how how many sober musicians i know but for sure i mean think about all the stories you hear about people that have od'd the 27 club it's like all these guys and people women have fallen into this trap you yeah. know you're 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 a musician it's almost like you're expected to be that personality so is that kind of what happened with your with you i mean it sounds like you're having a good time you like this a lot and it's part of the culture like did you just totally embrace this and dive into it oh yeah one thousand percent i was like let's go <laughs> when, when did you make the transition from um you know somebody who's sitting down playing uh in an orchestra to somebody that is now up on stage playing with with with, with bands and just fucking bringing it so to back up again, yeah. I was playing in a band when I was like 15 with my crush, who was my first boyfriend. And it was like a church thing because he was part of the church. It was like a church band. And I was playing my dad's violin and we were leaving uh, rehearsal and I had put my violin in the case and I picked up my case, but I hadn't zipped the case all the way up. And the case like opened up and the violin fell on its face, fell on the ground. This is my dad's violin. And it broke the neck off the body. And I was like panicked because growing up, my dad was like kind of the hard ass, so to yeah. speak. Like he, I don't view him that way now, but he was like, you know, he was raising six kids. He was working really hard. He was working at the power plant. Like, you know, he, yeah, sure. He had a lot of things. And I was like, my dad is going to, <laughs> me. he's gonna chop my head off like I was so scared to tell him and I remember I told my dad and he was like so cool about it he came home he knew I wanted to try to play electric violin he came home with a, a bridge with a Barkus Berry pickup which is like like that super cheap like little pickup yeah. it had like a little eighth inch quarter inch like input and we mailed my violin off actually down to LA um to a very famous luthier and he repaired the violin well he found my dad had dropped that violin when he was a child no and it had a windshield crack in the back so he this guy repaired the windshield crack and then he repaired the neck and then he installed this this bridge pickup so i got it back and i'm like now i got this crappy amp in my room from my big brother and i got a wall pedal from my first boyfriend and i'm like i i couldn't uh plug the I didn't have a, I needed a quarter inch, like a guitar cable uh -huh. input to this. So I cut off the H in, 
I soldered on a quarter inch. <laughs> I duct tape that to the violin and I like plug it in. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like fucking Jimi Hendrix. Like in my, <laughs> violin, like in my, in my room, I'm like, my poor parents were like, so <laughs> holy cool shit. It. Yeah. You guys like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> but that was like the moment that like, I knew I wanted to do alternative stuff. I remember my dad having me listen to um, the band. It's a beautiful day. I don't know if you're familiar with them, no. but they were kind of a band from the sixties uh maybe the early 70s but they have a violin in their band and they're like the psychedelic rock band and the violin was like the one of the lead instruments and i remember hearing that and i was like oh my god i want to do that like i've got their record is sitting right next to me actually <laughs> and and so when i went to long beach state i thought okay i'm gonna meet all these people that are gonna be super open because throughout this whole time i have people Again, not my mom and dad, but all other people are like, you can't play rock on the violin. You can't play yeah. a, anything other than all these purists were like, uh-uh, no, 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 you can't do that. And I am like, why not? So I get to Long Beach State thinking I'm going to meet all these like very open-minded people. And I just met a bunch more purist people like <laughs> in the classical world at the university level. They're like, you must be, play classical music and you must fit in this box. And I'm like this round you know, yeah. like not fitting in. You know? to, yeah, yeah. And so at that point, I'm like, I'm teaching myself. I, I taught myself guitar at this point. I taught myself mandolin. Wow. Um, I'm playing a little bit of jazz. I'm like transcribing Miles Davis solos. Um, I'm learning like Irish music. I've always had this like love for like Irish music on the fiddle. Like, I think it's so beautiful. I'm like learning some of that. I'm learning like blues licks on the violin. And then I'm like, at school practicing classical music and then like the instructors would be like okay play me something and i'd play and then i'd end it on like a like a blues lick like how would they respond like that. to that were they like whoa some of the cool instructors were like very supportive and the other ones were like uh you know all super buttoned up they're like you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> but so what happened was um so i'm working my way through college i had a partial scholarship so i'm a waitress i'm working my way through i still have my violin with me everywhere i go and i work next to this irish bar now hang on for one second you mentioned that second time you mentioned that so you're rolling around wherever you go with your violin pretty much and so were you the girl with the violin like all throughout like you're, you're you're the attractive girl running around with the violin, right? Like all the time. I don't know if I was the attractive girl. You were the hot chick running around with the violin. And, come on, let's be real. <laughs> Just like you are today, right? But like that's what you is. Am, am I wrong to say that? But did everybody know that you were, like, it was like an appendage almost? It sounds like. Yeah, I was definitely the violinist that was um, playing more alternative styles than any of my other peers. Mm -hmm. So like. If somebody called the school because they needed a violinist to play like the best little whorehouse in Texas or whatever, I did this musical or there's all these different things like they'd go to me because I was the one that was kind of doing these more alternative things. Yeah. Um, I don't know if everybody knew that I always had my violin with me. I think I just... Yeah, I never really thought about that, but I guess so. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of like... I love it though because it's kind of... It's, you can tell this thing was so, you were so close to this thing, you know, it's like yeah. a love affair with the violin and it served oh, yeah. you and it serves you very well. Um, yeah. 
but you you know you had some some demons to to extinguish as as you continue to progress and you've talked a little bit about them but as as you started to what happens how do you like when you leave college how do you like how do you move into being somebody who performs now all the time as opposed to a student okay so while as i was at long beach state i was a waitress they had at the bar next door they had music like six nights a week so in college i would go to the bar next door and the the irony of the whole thing is i didn't even at those times when i would go to see music play in that little blip of time i didn't go there to drink i went there to meet the musicians and play because I wasn't getting this outlet from Long Beach State that I thought I was going to get. I changed my major from classical violin performance major, which is a it's it's a that's a tough road to go down. Um, I changed to theory and composition. I was I was writing music at the school. I was learning theory, um, you know, all this like very nerdy stuff that I still to this day like love. Yeah. And I'm still not feeling like I'm getting the outlet that I need. And so I'm I'm going to this bar and I'm seeing people play. I'm meeting the musicians. I'm very, I can talk to people, especially the guys that are playing. I have no problem. They find out I play violin. They find out I have my violin. I'm sitting in with these guys and I'm literally playing music at this bar, like five or six nights a week, not getting paid. I'm just sitting in, I'm sucking in public, which is what one of my instructors always used to say, like, you have to suck in public. Yes. Like you have to go out there and just try, 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 and just keep going. And that has never like left my brain. And that's like how I met my first guitarist. We became a band. And then from there, I met another guitarist. We started another band. And then I met another guy. We started another. So it just like, it just snowballed into now I'm, I'm going through college. I'm starting to play music out. And then I, uh, I meet my daughter's father in um, college at, not, he wasn't at the college with me, but I meet him. I end up getting pregnant. I end up dropping out of school. So I didn't finish. Um, I, 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 saw, I, I met your daughter. I told you this, but it's I met your daughter briefly after the yeah. concert and she was just so, so fucking cool. Um, yeah. I met her yeah. with your husband real quick. And it was just like, how, 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 like, I don't know. That was just fateful. And then I ended up, you and I ended up connecting and talking more about doing stuff like this. So yeah, it's pretty cool for you to tell me that now. Oh yeah. Like I met your daughter. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, that was a big turning point for me. Um, I was in uh, an extremely tumultuous relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. It was not a healthy one. Um, and was now, was there drinking and drugs involved with that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then I end up, so I end up getting pregnant. Um, we end up trying to make things work. And long story short, um, so I've dropped out of school. Um, I'm still gigging as a young, young <laughs> pregnant girl. I'm like out there playing still. <laughs> and I, I have my baby. And, you know, at that time in my life, it's like, I had this kind of a, I mean, every woman has their own story, but it was kind of a traumatic birth for me, what I went through with having my daughter. Um, and I really, at this point, yeah, these are things I've never even talked about. I definitely in retrospect realized that I suffered from postpartum after having my daughter. Yeah. Um, that was, that was really, really challenging. Um, and the personal things I had going on with her father were, 
exponentially just like yeah. crazy. Um, and so, you know, I have her, I'm, you know, I'm breastfeeding her. I'm, I'm literally like two months out. I'm like going out and gigging. I'm going into the parking garage to pump <laughs> so I can still play coming home, feeding her. I'm like working three jobs. I'm exhausted. I like, I lost a bunch of weight. I was like super, super, super skinny. Um, my brother called me up and he was like, mom and dad want to make sure you're not anorexic. Like, I mean, I was like sickly thin and just going through like a lot of things. And then at that point it was like, that was when all the trauma I was going through led me into deeper into drinking. Yeah, sure. Like that was, that was the point probably that was the turning point of like, is this going to be a problem or not? Mm -hmm. And it's starting and, to be a problem. Yeah. You know, it's funny real quick, just to go back before we go forward. I'm not fucking Dr. Phil over here, but I, I, you must have be like the fifth or sixth woman, like I'm friendly with, or I know recently that has talked openly about postpartum. And it's kind of one of those fucking things like, you know, nobody really taught. I don't, it's, it's maybe it's the next thing. I don't know. I mean, I saw the Brooke Shields documentary and she talked about it and I know more women are talking about it, but it's totally, it's a, it's a big deal. That's not, it's it, always been a big deal, but it's a big deal that's not talked about that I think is yes. one more thing that women are afraid to say, hey, by the fucking way, I just had a kid and I don't want to get out of bed and it's been six yes. months. Yes. It gives me goosebumps when you're saying that because when I think about that time of my life, it was so, it was really so scary and I felt so lonely and it was really, really, really painful for me, like extremely. Um, I, I, I split ways with her father and, uh, and then that was another like moment of like, okay, now I'm a single mom and I'm like, I'm gigging. And then I have, I have my daughter part-time and I'm like, I'm going out and just like going hard, yeah. you know? So it was, it was like, I really believe like somebody was looking out for me because when I think about some of the things I did and, and waking up and, uh, and kind of, uh, living through some of the things that I did yeah. <laughs> that were like really, really, really bad. Yeah. Um, somebody was watching out for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's why I love talking to other people that have walked this journey because like, I, I, I can totally relate to that you know like really is like the fact that we're still it i don't because I, I i'll talk to other alcoholics about it or other people that are sober and i'm like wow it does give me gratitude like holy shit like because i don't i don't know i'm not programmed to think about that stuff on my own too often you know i've survived and i wear it as a badge of courage and i'm very grateful but sometimes that's all and uh mm -hmm. when i stop and think about it it's truly remarkable that we're here to talk about all that stuff you know, yes. I mean, it, it yeah. really is. Now, let me ask you one hard question. Any drugs involved here? You haven't mentioned that at all. Are we doing any drugs, Emily, or do we not? Oh, by the way, can you lift that up one more time? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Wait, got to get a. I mean, come on. For real? <laughs> oh, oh, God, that guy. 
He's everywhere. Yeah, I know. He was, get, was he was definitely going to get a couple words in here. The other day, and that that sticker's on the wall. One of the gigs I just played out. It's like, <laughs> fucking everywhere. <laughs> so, any drugs at all? Part of this? Um. Okay. So, nothing really. I think in high school, I was kind of experimenting with some th- some other things, yeah. but mostly it was just pot you know marijuana and alcohol okay so you're just so yeah. so you're are you using alcohol as like an elixir to, to, to play like was that did you notice that start to happen a little bit like i'm gonna get up st- on stage i need a couple drinks yeah 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 i think so um and then meeting that party band that i kind of got myself into that yeah. was like that was along the way of everything we're talking about and that was like that was like this catalyst of like, you know, party central. So what happens like, around 2013 in August that leads you to be like, it's enough. So I would say in like June of 2013, somebody dared me to, and I can't remember who, but somebody said, I bet you can't stop drinking for two weeks. Somebody else was doing it or something or whatever. And it was like, it was a friend or somebody. And I was like, you know, somebody put a challenge up to me. It was like, oh, you think I can't do that? Like, I could totally do that, you know? <laughs> and so I did that for two weeks. I stopped drinking. Now, at this point, um, I'm I'm a single mom. I am feel like shit. I've gone through this postpartum. I have some other health things going on, but no doctor can really tell me what's going on. Um, they had, you know, I, without getting into all that, but mm-hmm. they had put me on some different birth control. I had all these different things going on and I was feeling horrible. I wasn't sleeping well. I was having a lot of anxiety. Like there was just a lot of things I was struggling with. And so somebody said, don't drink for two weeks. And I'm like, easy. I can totally do that. So I stopped drinking for two weeks and I remember starting to like feel better. And I'm like, okay, two weeks are up. And I used to go right back to drinking, like hardcore right back to it. And I remember like, I feel like shit all the time. Yeah. And it's not just like the hangover something like it's just kind of, I noticed that too in my life. Like I didn't, I didn't have to be drunk 24 hours a day to feel like shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like you wake up, you're doing stuff the next day. Your brain chemistry is fucked if you're hitting it that hard. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I was definitely, I was getting high every night to get myself to fall asleep, to not like have this anxiety, to not have this insomnia. And then, you know, and then of course, you know, as you know, like it's coupled with like, you're eating like shit, you're hungover. So you're eating all this like greasy food Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I had been at this point, I had been traveling to Nashville with this band. We were like, I remember we went out to Nashville to do a showcase and we went out the night before and like completely like black blackout drunk the night before this huge showcase the next day. And I show up the next day and I'm like, I'm so hungover. I can barely play. I just go straight to the bar and I start drinking again. Yeah. I mean, it was like crazy like that's the kind of shit that we bury in a sense where like we're kind of like you know um you just kind of forget it or you you drink more to forget it i had a time i was just thinking about this recently i was living in charlotte and i was doing some i was doing radio for the hornets a basketball team there and i was asked to go guest host this radio show during the week which is it was a big show down there right and uh it was like an afternoon drive show this guy mark packer 
Um, and I get drunk and I go in there drunk. And so I'm in there drunk and I'm on the air and it's not going well. I think it's going great. And this guy, I just thought of this, I think it was yesterday afternoon when I was jogging. This guy holds up a sign, right? Like one of the producers, it says, no more Pete Sousa today. Like, and I'm, I'm fucking Pete Sousa. And I'm like, oh my God. So they took me off the air. And I mean, it wasn't like totally like unjarring or unceremonious, but I was not there the next segment. And like, oh, shit. yeah, but it was one of those things that, that was a huge opportunity for me. And that's one of many that I just thought of recently that I could relate to yours because it's like, how many more of these situations are we going to get gift wrapped? Like, not that you were going to hit a home run at that showcase, but you know what I mean? Or, or that I was going to hit a home run during that radio show opportunity. But like, how many more times are we going to show up to these situations not ready to succeed? Like at some oh, point, yeah. it's enough already. Yeah. Or, or, or you die or you end up in prison or whatever because the shame is too great. Like I, yeah. like I couldn't even, I can remember that night I went home, I kept drinking. I bet, you know, it was just like that shit doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so I can relate to that story big time. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think about like, I think especially recently with Kevin's passing and like just these conversations that you and I have had and um, the conversations I've had with, you know, Kevin's friend Soli and, you know, all, all these people in our lives that are all sober and thinking and talking about like how hard, how um, like remembering some of the things that I did when I was drunk or not remembering, you know, <laughs> what I did, but it's like the sort of feeling like the shame, you know, the shame in it, like, cause that's, a lot of people in my life now don't know me yeah. as that person. They didn't know me then. And even like my mom and dad didn't know me that way. So there was, I remember there was a long time where like I'd come home and my mom would be like, do you want a glass of wine? Like she'd asked me for years after I was sober. No, mom, I don't drink, you know? And, you know, even when, when I did get sober with the, with that one party band, it was like, he didn't support my sobriety, not one single bit. And how, how did was, you do that? How hard was that? Like you're sober in this party band and you know, whether the guy's telling you you're a wimp cause you don't drink or whether he's just not supportive. That's, oh yeah. He was like, you're a quitter. Like <laughs> it was, he was giving me some major shit and yeah. I, I don't know. So I am like, I'm sorry, we're jumping all over, no. but it's like, so like I get dared for the two weeks. I do it. I go right back to drinking. I'm not feeling good. I'm having these health struggles. I'm having all this stuff going on in my life. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know what it was, but it was like, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop all these things. I'm going to stop on August 1st of 2013. I actually stopped a few days before because I felt so horrible and I remember telling my band leader that I wasn't drinking. He's giving me a lot of shit. So I went to the bartender and we played every weekend at this place, Don the Beachcomber. If you're listening to this and you're local, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like the party central of all party centrals. And I go up to the bartender, Sean, and I'm like, hey, when people are buying shots for the drink, just water down some Coke for me because I need it to look like I'm drinking. So everybody could basically, basically I was like doing this, like people pleasing, like I'm making everybody uncomfortable because I'm not drinking. <laughs> so I need to like pretend like I'm drinking. So yeah. I would get done playing and I would literally have 10, 15, 20 cocktails and drinks and beers next to my amp. I wouldn't even touch 
I just give them away here. I don't know. At that point, I was like, let's, I was feeling so horrible in my health too, that I needed something to make me feel better. Now, let me ask you a question. Since you've gotten, and this is a total, like, it's going to be hard to answer ballpark. How many times a week do you think you've played since you've gotten sober? Like average, like live, like think about that. On average, um, three times a week. So is that almost so for you? I mean, again, I got an agenda here, so give me a second. Like, I would imagine, because I saw that a little bit with Kevin. Um, like, that has got to be so therapeutic to be up there, to be sober, to be playing. That is because, you know, you and I have talked about this. Like, you don't go to a ton of meetings. You go to meetings when you get your chip, um, you know, and it's clear, like, you, you are connected. Yeah, I've actually never been to a meeting. You've never been to a meeting. Okay, so you get it. But so, <laughs> so, so you've never been to a meeting. But didn't you say you get your chip? Or was that nope. you? That was not you. Okay, okay. So you've never been to a meeting. She gave me the hand raise, by the way, for that one. <laughs> so you've never been to a meeting. So, and, and, and I've talked about this too. And Kevin and I talked openly about this. Like, dude, there are many, there are many ways to get sober. Like, we are not yeah. here to be like, if you're sober, and, and I love that, like, you and Kevin connected on that level because he could have cared less. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, it doesn't matter. You're sober. Um, but was were those experiences playing cathartic for you? Looking yes. looking back, early in sobriety. I got to imagine that's such a release to go on stage in a place sober. Oh, oh, my God. Like, you can't even believe. I mean, music is, it sounds so cliche, but music is my drug. Yeah. Like, music has saved my life over and over again. Like, I mean that from the deepest part of my core. Like, I music has gotten me through so much. Like, it's it's unbelievable. Like, I could be having a bad day or having things going on or whatever it is that I'm going through, and I go play music. 100% of the time, I feel better. It's, it's such a spiritual experience for me, and I feel so connected to some whatever higher source there is out there. It's like, I feel like I like leave this earth and I just go to like another place. It's like being high, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's totally, it, it does for you what alcohol and drugs did for you in a way. I mean, that's, that's what you're saying. And that's, that's what I, that's what I feel like about uh, meetings and, and, and AA. And that's what I feel about too, like about my job. Like, like there, there are times when, you know, I'll get done like calling a game and, uh, I, I, I've stepped back before and been like, I, I can't believe it. Like I need somebody to come. Like I, I got to take a shower. It was just, it just feels incredible. You know I mean? It's yeah. just like, and, and for me too, it's something like, wow, I can't, I can't believe that I'm able to do this stuff sober, you know? Um, yeah. So you're doing all this sober and now your career starts to really come together. Like you're no longer, you know, somebody that's playing in party bands. That's, that's trying to kind of get there. You're getting there. Um, did you notice that, uh, yourself? Like, did that put wind in your sails? Like, wow. Did you get better? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, you know, it's like one of those things that's like, you think you're so good. Yeah. And then you kind of realize that you're not as good as you thought you were because you were so inebriated. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was playing at the time I was playing with that party band. I was playing in another band that was also a different form of a party band and we were also getting really fucked up in that band and it just like i just started peeling off from these people and i started also some of the people um that i played with were um 
some of the people, these older men that I was playing with were actually becoming sober because of me. They were inspired by what I was doing. Yeah. And I was like, you're inspired by me. Like you inspire me with your music. And then, you know, I became fast friends with some of these guys and they became sober. And then it was like, it just was this like ripple effect of like the people I started coming across and playing with were more and more sober people. Like I would say the majority of people I play with now and that I come across almost all of them are sober or not at all like really party people. And that's, and that's a, such a cool thing. And, and it's not by design. These are people who are experiencing the same success that you are playing yeah. music. And you just got, it's, I mean, the story about you and, and, and my brother, like, you didn't know he was sober or maybe you did. He, he definitely didn't know you were I sober. Didn't. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. And like, and you and I talked about this offline. This is like last week or the week before that, like, you know, like all the people and musicians you find yourself around that are sober. And it's not like, again, it's the last fucking club I wanted to join. You know what I mean? I joined it and it's yeah. the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, yeah. uh, and I think, I think people are, are feeling the, the same way. I mean, because the idea of getting sober um, you know, and I tell guys that come to meetings, this I'm like, dude, this is not like a tunnel to more meetings. It's a bridge to life. Like you get, you get going with sobriety, man. You're going to be able to do shit you never thought you could do before or, or do oh, yeah. things that you were doing before better. Uh, and every time that's the case, you know, and it doesn't seem like I'm not here to tell you like what your bottom was like. I guess, I guess it was pretty bad. You kind of, you kind of understated it for me before. I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> you definitely, you definitely needed to stop. Right. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. think that, like I said, that's been the biggest realization in this last year for yeah. me was how, when I, when I, those things you kind of, like you said, you bury. Yeah. And I think about what I was doing, that I was blacking out, that I was like, you know, being a single woman and like driving drunk and um, ending up at guys, you know, <laughs> just different things. Like you're yeah. so unsafe. It's so, I mean, I, some of my girlfriends were, this didn't actually happen to me. But I had some girlfriends that like woke up, you know, at men's house, didn't know where they were, didn't know who the, who the guy, I mean, just yeah. really like. No, the most, the scariest stories in the world, because literally you're not safe. For me, yeah. I was a night crawler. I had no clue where I was. You know what I mean? Like you're just putting yourself in the most unstable situations with some of the most unsavory people. And I was unstable and unsavory. So like, I was yeah. like, number, I was, you know, I was there, you know, I was, yeah. I was the leader of the pack for, for me. Um, yeah. it is amazing that we made it out. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, playing in these party bands, it was like, you know, I had guys would, you know, latch on to me or, you know, kind of become obsessive with me. I had like a few people that kind of like stalked me and was like, they're like leaving notes on my car, leaving gifts on my car or putting notes in the tip. Like, you know, I have. How do you handle always, that, Emily? Um, I usually just ignore it even to this day like I still have that happen but it's just out of it's just different for me because I'm so much more confident in myself and like you know that you know I mean that's kind of a whole nother thing talking about that but it's like I've just had some of those moments where I was like this is probably not a very safe I don't know what this guy's real motive is I mean you know so I need to like I need to be better. I need to be better for my daughter. I need to be able to wake up clear headed. I can't get killed. Yeah. I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to kill somebody else. Like it was like 
I think, you know, that, that time of becoming sober and choosing to become sober. And one of the reasons I haven't talked about this a lot is because I didn't go to AA. I didn't, I'm so strong willed. And I felt like it wasn't, yes, it was a challenge, but it wasn't like what I've heard people go mm -hmm. through. Yeah, yeah. And so for that, I've always been a little bit like reserved in talking about it because I don't want anybody else to feel like, I don't know, like, oh, she just decided to stop drinking. Yes. You know, it wasn't until recently, truly, to be completely honest, that I really struggled with my sobriety through losing Kevin and having these really, I mean, that has been so painful, as you know, it's yeah. like, that's the first time that I'm like, okay, this is real. I'll this tell you is something. Real. This is, it's yeah. just, I haven't told any, I told maybe a couple people this, but this shows like how vulnerable we can be. So Friday night, I was at a, Friends of mine, best people in the world, right? And they're, it's just me and, and them and their kids in Austin. And uh, we're hanging out. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm banged up, right? Everything with Kevin, just like some personal stuff, just like feeling, feeling crummy, you know? And uh, it's late at night and, and they're drinking wine and they're having fun. And, and I'm having a blast. Like, I'm really like a part of the situation. But I'm, but I'm kind of, I'm not kind of, I'm fucking in pain. And, uh, and I walk by this bottle of red wine and I was like, that is, and I looked at that and I thought, well, that's an escape. Like truly right now, like I have these pangs of pain, um, you know, because of what's happened. And I just like looked, I looked at it certainly longer than I have in a long fucking time. And hey, it's, it, it, I tell people this, I told myself this and I've talked to other alcoholics about it. And I know you talked to Sully for a little bit. Like this is like, that's, that's as normal as it's, it's normal. It's, it's just normal to feel that way. The key for me is to talk to people like you about it, to talk to my, my close friends about it. Like, I got to tell at least one or two people. Like, you know what yes. I mean? Because I start to carry that shit around, and the next time I'm like, fuck it. You know? Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, so I mean, like, I'm going through it too. Like, I, you know, I, and I appreciate you sharing that with me about, like, you know, yeah. about the vulnerability. Because it's very real, and it's like, you know, it's, life happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like very, yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a delicate thing. Um, sobriety, even though you feel like you've got it in a headlock and you're so, you're doing great. Like you just need to like, like, I think it's great that like, I'm able to talk to you about this stuff and to be revealing, you know, and to be real. Yes. Um, so you mentioned that, what was it like, I'm going to be selfish here. What was it like playing um, the Memorial concert for Kevin? Cause you, you were just literally on fire. And it was like, I get to see Zeal, I get to see Nate, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know Nick that well, but he was, you know, Kevin Susan, my, my brother's band, by the way, the key to the band, and this is when I knew that he had really evolved as a person, because he told me this, and I think I saw him on one of those like morning shows in LA talking about when you guys were playing at the Pier in Hermosa. He was like, oh, look, yeah. he was like, look, my band, I'm not, basically he was like, I just surround myself with awesome artists. And the problem with that, or not the problem, it's a gift. It's like, they will break off and do different shit and I'm yep. never going to stand in their way of going yep. off and doing different stuff. And it was pretty cool because <clears throat> you guys, I don't know anything about the business, but you guys seem to all come back together. You know what I mean? Like people will break off and then you come back and you know, like you would go away and Nick will go away and you come back. It was just like, so, so fucking awesome, you know? But so you're playing in that memorial. Go ahead. You were going to say something. I just, well, that's because of your brother though. I mean, that's because of the way he treated us. Like 
you know, I joined the band, we got to know each other. Like I said before, the band kind of, you know, morphed into this, like the Kevin Sousa band. <laughs> and it was like, everybody in the South Bay knows us, knows who we are. I mean, I get stopped, like, you know, like you said, I'm like the other version of Emily, like no makeup. I'm, I'm walking on the beach or running on the beach and people are like, Hey, you're the violinist from the Kevin Sousa band. And I'm like, yeah, that's me, you know? <laughs> and, uh, he treated us and he treated, well, I know he treated me so much like family and it, it like still makes me emotional, but, um, he treated us like a family and he knew that he knew how to, like, we all went on tour. I went on a U.S. tour. He still kept us coming back because of the music, the way he treated us, you know, he treated, he, he always made sure I was taken care of financially. Like, I mean, just everything. And he always called me the sister that he never wanted, <laughs> you know, giving each other shit, like total, like brother, sister. And then, um, he always said, I was like, he goes, Emily, you're like a fucking racehorse. Like you're in the, you know, what's it called when they got the stable. You in the, like the holding the stable stall. or whatever. The stall. Yeah. Yeah. the stall and yeah. like you're like you want to just go because we would play these gigs this is before the album was written we would play these gigs and he'd want to start out with all this like slow sappy shit i'm like <laughs> let's go <laughs> i'm like i don't want to play all these long notes i want to fucking rip hairs off my bow and like just like go to town and he knew that he'd always be like whoa not yet slow down emily <laughs> like you're like a racehorse <laughs> but so then that, you know, the album came out and that's when, you know, he wrote, uh, wrote a lot of it around letting the, you know, letting me really shine on the violin. And when it came to the memorial, it was like, when I knew we were going to play for the memorial, I was like, so I didn't want to do it. I was like, I, I, I knew that I would, and I knew that I needed to, and I knew that I would regret it if I didn't. But when I initially found out, I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, and leading up to it was, it was, that was, that was really a hard time for me because it, it was so fresh. Kevin had just passed away. Like I was, I was really going through it like hardcore. Like this has been the most painful loss of a person I have ever, ever experienced in my life. Truly. I can hundred percent say that. And now we're like, you know, Shag's sending me the set list and I'm like, I can't even look at the set list. I can't even listen to it. I don't even want to know. It's too bad. If you want me to learn a part, we're going to learn it at rehearsal. I was like, I was like, I'm not doing, I can't, I couldn't even listen to what was the song? Um, Love to lose. I can't. No, because okay. we didn't play any of the original music for the, for the memorial, but it was, um, oh fuck. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was, it was the, it was the El the one with Elton John. Anyways, I can't think of it, but I started to listen to that the day of the rehearsal. So the days leading up to the memorial, the like, I've never cried so much in my life. I was like, I was a wreck. I was like, I can't do this. This is going to be really hard. I'm like listening to it while I'm in the shower, like just trying to get like, trying to like just cry in the shower. Like, okay, like I need to get this out. I need to go to, to rehearsal. And then I get to the rehearsal and it was like, all bets were off. Like I see like Nate, who I haven't, I, I haven't seen any of the guys since Kevin's past. I'm just like bawling, like as if I just found out Kevin died. Mm -hmm. And 
we we start playing and it was like you know we're like crying through rehearsal we're laughing we're making these jokes it's like okay this is starting to be healing we get up we go to the paddle out the paddle out was really hard you know that was like the first time i heard perfect wave i heard his voice that was really difficult and by the time we got to like actually playing the memorial it was like I don't know. There was like a sense of calm that came over me and I was able to, I mean, yes, I got emotional on stage, especially seeing Patty there and playing. But when I played that boys of summer solo mm. and like, you know, we talked about this before is like, Kevin would never let me finish a solo when I wanted to finish a solo. <laughs> he was like, no, you're going to go for 16 more bars or 32. Like, I had these epically long solos because Kevin would, I would look at Kevin and he would shake his head at me. Like, you're not finishing your solo. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to wrap it up. I'm like, dude, I've said everything I can on the violin. Like my arm is literally going to fall off. Like <laughs> I would like, there's, there's a, there's a video. You've probably seen it from when years he went ago. To lay down. I call, what's that? When he would lay down on the stage. Well, there was, there was that one too, where he's like, I'm like playing, I'm fucking like soloing my ass off. And then Kevin in the background just like falls over on the stage behind me. And I like looked down and I just like kept playing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there was a video, there's a video where I solo and I call it the break it video uh -huh. because we were on the stage and the stage felt like it was about to break. It was like the stage was bowing and you know, you've seen me play. I'm like very physical and like moving around and stuff and you're like an athlete you're, you're, you're yeah, an athlete I'm like in my six inch heels and like yeah. i'm pounding away on the on the pedals and kevin and aragorn are like they're in the background they're going break it break <laughs> it, break it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was you know you it was something bigger than us right that whole day i mean i was super anxious going into i was just like a, i was ready to like melt down i'm very good at like misappropriating my anger and stuff, you know? So I was like other shit I was pissed at like the night before yeah. and then leading up to that day on Sunday. Um, and it was just, I mean, I don't know if bliss is the right word cause it wasn't that kind of occasion, but it, it was, I mean, I talked, talking to Patty about it. It was just like one of the most special days. Um, and, and it all just came together, right? Like, like it was supposed to, you know? Oh yeah. It, it gives me goosebumps again, thinking about it, but it was like, we did that solo. We did Boys of Summer solo. I don't know if you remember this, but it's like, we, you know, like, Shag's like, here you go. Like, this is, this is the moment that Kevin's going to want you to just like rip a solo. And I'm like, you know, I'm like going, 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 going. And Nick, I found out later, Nick couldn't hear me very well in his in-ear. So he didn't know when I was really finishing the solo. Usually we're a little bit more connected. So he's slightly disconnected from that. And he finishes, the band finishes the solo and I'm like, nope. And I kept going. So the band like jumped back in. <laughs> I remember. And like, it was, it was like hilarious. It was very much in like Kevin Souza fashion, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing was, so I want to get back. I can't keep you here forever. Let me check this. All right. We'll finish up here in a second. So we got to talk about the video. That's too. what we're talking about now. That's the whole <laughs> fucking reason I, I convinced you to do this, this fucking thing. So, all right. So you find you have started to you know we talked about the fact that you you, you go on tour with bands right you you you, you play with bands i mean again <clears throat> you really are your career has taken off but you decide to start doing solo shows 
and now you are yes. becoming more of a soloist. Um, yes. Certainly a worthy label for you and, and, and something like a, a, a more than a worthwhile experience for all of us to watch you and to see you. Uh, I feel like it's a gift for all of us that you're starting to do this stuff by yourself. What, what was that like, the transition from, you know, going and playing in, in big bands, touring with bands, and now you're, you're out there on your own? Um, I mean, literally, you've just started to do these solo shows. Yeah, within the last, so October of last year, so it was like right towards the end of last year, I a little bit was sort of forced into the situation, but I had like, you know, I decided like, I don't need to rely on anybody else. I'm going to do this myself. I start telling people I'm going to be like a solo show. And because I'm already pretty well known in the area for what I do, I started getting booked gigs. I got booked a gig two weeks out. I literally had no idea what I was going to do for my solo show. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I called Shag. I mean, we, I went to the studio, I went to the space with him. He hooked me up with some pedals. We right, started so Shag, dialing. by the way, we've mentioned him several times now. For people that don't know who, Steve Aguilera, but what, what does Shag do? He's, he's in the Kevin Souza band. He's also just all things awesome. He is one of the best people I know. Yeah. He's was basically, he was the music director of the Kevin Souza band. Um, he was, he really refined that group. He, he refined us and refined, I believe, I mean, I came in later in the picture, but I believe he refined Kevin for what Kevin became on stage. And we, we became this like rock, like monster, like, yeah. like we became this like living, breathing thing. And I have always just felt very comfortable with Shag, uh, Steve. I call yeah. him Shag. Shag, Steve, yeah. Um, he's like, I don't know, just a total sweetheart and always willing to help me. And I told him I want to do the solo show. He had a lot of the pedals I needed. We worked on the sound. Um, I went in my first, my first gig was a four hour gig solo. I was really, really, really nervous, like so nervous. How do you, and how do you overcome fun. those nerves before you, before you take the stage? Is there anything you do, any, any method you employ? Um, definitely some deep breathing, some box breathing, things like that. And I generally, especially if I'm feeling like very anxious or nervous, I like to go like move my body or stretch or like, cause it helps. That's always helped me get rid of my anxiety is to like move, move things around, you okay. know? Yeah. Um, but it, I was still very nervous when I played. It was about two or three gigs in. And I went into my studio. We're in my studio now. And I locked myself in the studio for weeks and weeks and weeks. My family didn't see me. I was like just learning puddles, learning things, trial and error, learning songs, picking up more of the guitar, learning to sing. I never sang in public before. I was like getting together with people that would help me. Anybody that would help me at this point. I was like getting together them, with them. And then about two or three gigs and maybe the third gig, I actually, I wrote about it on my Instagram. There's a long write-up on it, but I went in and I played, I got three residencies right off the bat from doing my solo show. So right off the bat, I've got three <laughs> places that want me like every week to come play. Like the universe was like, here you go. Like yeah. you want to play solo, you know? And I go, I play at this place. I used to always play with my other guitarists. Now I'm by myself everybody's there to see me by myself. They're very curious. They're very interested. I'm really, really nervous. I'm like, I'm just doing my thing. I just kind of like get lost in it. And I was playing 
uh, Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. And like the whole place completely erupted, like standing ovation. I wasn't even done with the song. I couldn't even hear the tracks that I had recorded on my looper. Like I had to finish the song. It made me cry on stage. I mean, it was like, that was the turning point for me. I was like, okay, I'm onto something and people really love this and I'm going to do this. Yeah. And so, so you've been doing it and you've been doing it uh, along like this, this video we're about to talk about. You're, you're more and more now putting yourself out there. You. Yes. Not you as part of something. It, it is you. Um, yes. And the video that I got to see with you. <laughs> Right, uh, yes. it's 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 your it's your rendition of sober by the by Tool. Um, yeah, the video I can't. First of all, when when can people see the video? Because I like, and again, we can like take this out or whatever. When when will people be able to see it? Uh, we will. We're planning to premiere it on August 29th. Okay. At the Hermosa Music Company that Kevin started, okay. August 29th. It's a Tuesday. I'm about to announce it on social media. I've seen that shit. It's, I feel, I feel, I told you, I feel so privileged. So I got to watch it with Emily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we FaceTimed and it was, it's unbelievable. Can I read the write up? Sure. Is that okay with you? Yeah. All right. Um, here we go. All right. So this is the write up about the video. All right. Emily V's rendition of Sober by Tool is a provocative and alluring mix of weeping violin and percussion guitars with power-driven drums. The music video matches the song with stunning performance shots and flashes of gut-wrenching imagery of what it feels like to be captivated by your own addictions. Visually, one can see the artist, hold on. Visually, one can see the artistry of Emily's intricate looping unfolding the live tracks in an exciting process to witness the sensuality of her passionate playing become the yin to the yang of the crumpled duct tape bound victim fight. Uh, let me read that again. Uh, the crumpled, I lost my place. The crumpled duct tape bound victim fighting for life. You're duct taped in the video. Is that okay that I said yeah. that? Okay. Yes. Um, Cause it's, Quite the sight. All right. The storm and heartache of distant thoughts of clarity can literally take over. What is real? No one can save you but yourself. You have to keep getting up and fight for your own life because nobody else will. Do you choose to be defeated or do you choose to break the binds that suffocate you? Watch as Emily continues to push the boundaries of the rock and roll world. I'm going to have to read this again and then like uh, Emily V's rendition of Sober by Tool. Is it, I mean, right? Watch as Emily continues to push the boundaries of the rock and roll world. I mean, but look, that's that that is spot on. So the inspiration behind the video, um, and then we got to wrap after this, right? But the inspiration behind the video is, I mean, it's clearly, I mean, I just read it. It's somebody that is being bound and suffocated by their own addictions. For you, um, wh where did this inspiration come from? Um, well, you know, originally I started playing this song because I had played it with Kevin mm -hmm. and it was, I'm a, a fan of Tool and, you know, all that. So I started, what happened was musically, I started playing it on the guitar, realized I could incorporate it into the show, started playing it live. And I remember the first time I played it, people were like, you're playing Tool by yourself, like looping <laughs> on violin, like are you crazy? Yes, I'm crazy. For people that and, don't know, what is looping? Um, so looping is essentially you're recording live on stage. 
I've got a, I've got puddles on my feet and I'm controlling. It's basically a computer. I've got six tracks. I tell, I push it, it records. As soon as I push it off, it stops recording. I can tell it when to play it back. When it plays back, it loops. That's why it's called a looper. And yeah. then I can control every track, every loop, everything. And you can loop whatever you want, but I loop violin, guitar, and then I sing on top of it. Okay. Now, go ahead. You're finishing up. So, um, I started kind of digging into, like, I knew what the song was about and I knew what it, it meant to me. But after I started playing it, I kind of started digging into it more. And it just was this, like, oh, I had this epiphany. I'm like, I need to play this for people. Like, I need to do a video. I need to record it. And I need people to see how I interpret it because it's so, it's such an important song to me. The, like the pain that comes with fighting whatever addiction you have. And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't even have to be drugs. You know, it can be your phone. It can be food. It can be a person like whatever. And the things that I've been through in my life, it just really spoke to me in terms of what that pain has felt like and some of the pain that I've been through. And then I decided that I wanted this imagery to be very like shocking, like, Yes, it's rock and roll and it's sexy and it's superhero, but then there's this other side that's like somebody is fighting for their life to like to move forward and and live a better life. A lot of times it's what you don't see and that's kind of how you yeah. portrayed it almost. Like yeah. this is what you're you're not seeing with this person. Um yes. this complete uh in incredible battle. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, you're talking here with me and this isn't fucking Joe Rogan, but people listen um, and you are being extremely revealing with this video. How does it feel like you to, t to take to take these leaps? I mean, again, we talked about it, your career like a rocket ship right now, but you're also starting to open yourself up to people. Um, it's so scary. It's really scary. But, you know, not to keep bringing it back to your brother, but like he was very encouraging to me in this solo show before he passed and now when he passed it was this moment of like like that happened so sudden for me i was like if i don't do what i feel like i need to do in this world like you could wake up dead tomorrow like who who cares what people think? I mean, everybody has an opinion about what you do. And when you're in the limelight and you're a performer and you're a woman and all these things, everybody's got something to say about how you look, how you dress, your makeup, your, how you play about my wall puddle, about my, I mean, everything, everything. And I don't care what anybody thinks. So if you like it, I hope it speaks to you. I hope it's healing for you. I hope it's a positive thing. If you don't like it, I don't care. How do you get to that place that, that you're talking to me about right now that my brother well, opera that operated such... from that sometimes I, I cannot actually operate from if I'm, if I'm doing the work I need to do, you know, but how, how do people, how does somebody that's listening to this and is looking up to you and, or even if they don't know you now, they're listening to this and they totally admire you um, and they're drawn towards you. How does somebody find that comfort in their own skin? Oh, man. And all you can do is base it on your experience. I'm not asking for opinions, but if you can draw on something. Um, I think being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, uh, 
in public in front of people like what i said my my professor used to say you've got to suck in public that was probably the beginning of that thought process for me which is like you know now we're in this age of like social media and everybody can see what you're doing and and hear you and all these things and it's 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 a blessing but it's also like yeah. i think it can be really hard on on people's mental health and you can't let that get to you and i think if you can just get yourself out there in front of real people and i mean it's that's not really an answer i don't know it I is an answer need- i lived it myself when i started after i got sober i got into broadcasting and then i got into tv news what i do now and i love what i do now I love TV news. I love calling games. And I was horrible at my job in TV news when I started. I'm dyslexic. I could hardly read the fucking teleprompter. I was nervous and I fucking sucked. And I'm telling you, when I was at Chick fil A, like now people will come up and be like, oh my gosh, like I see you on the morning show. I like you on the morning show. When I was in Chick fil A, people would be like, that's the fucking guy on the news. He's awful. You know, like, but I had to go, but literally, and that was after I'd gotten sober. You know, when I was sober, part of my story is I worked at a fucking KFC living in a halfway house. Like, I I failed in front of people, and I'll fail in front of people again. Um, but, like, the, the the thickness of skin has really developed. You know, like, I, I've calcified uh, in certain yes. parts of my life. Certain parts of my life I haven't. But in that respect, I have. Um, yeah. And it's pretty fucking cool to get there yes. and to go out there and to do your job and be like, Okay, like this is this is cool. Just like not to be wrapped up in nerves after you had been for so long. Yeah, you know? I think it's like the the more time that I'm sober, I've said this every year, it's like the more powerful and creative I feel as a woman coming into my own like I feel every year I'm doing more of what I really want to be doing. It's like I have been doing what I want to do, but this, you know, Kevin's death and everything has really like fast forward me into like the time is now. Um, if you didn't do it yesterday, you can't worry about it. You can't worry about the future. All you can do, it's like that write-up. It's like you, you, you are going to be the one to save yourself. You're going to be the one to get yourself up off the floor. It's all, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. There, there is not, you can ask for help, of course. And I am, I am totally advocating, like ask for yeah. help, talk to people. Like, it's not like you need to isolate yourself, but all I am saying is like, you have to make the decision whether it's in your career or whatever it is that's happening. It's like, you're the one that has to do it there. People can give you advice and people can tell you what they did or how they see it. It doesn't matter. It's all up to you. My buddy, John Gallagher, he's a coach's basketball at Manhattan college basketball. And he says, uh, nobody's coming for you. Like the, the, like the moment you get that through your head, nobody's coming for you. Like, and that speaks exactly what you're saying. All right. Anything else I left out, anything you want to say, this has been probably, uh, this has been the longest of all time, and it's been my favorite. Um, oh, I... <laughs> seriously. We've just talked for two hours. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, this is the best, yeah. Uh-huh. I could, I, I'm not even joking. Like, if you gave me a little bit of food right now and another <laughs> coffee, like, we'd probably talk for another two hours. <laughs> well, so anything else before I, before I leave you? Um, I... I think that's pretty much it. I'm like super excited to show this video. I'm really excited for the premiere. I'm really excited for what is happening with music. And I, I'm so honored that you had me here. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm really, really happy that we got connected through, I mean, this heartache, but I think there's a lot of things happening now that are meant to be and special. And I, I love that. 
Emily V, thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.